Welcome to the No Pressure, No Diamonds podcast, where entrepreneurs come to harness their struggles, doubt, fear, negativity, and setbacks. They place pressure on the blessing of adversity to become the strong, fearless, excited, passionate winner they were destined to be. A diamond. But yo, man. We're back, man. We're back. <laughs> Bro, I missed you. <laughs> oh, man. I, I missed us. It's been it's been a uh it's been great, man. And I'm and I'm super excited about, about what's to come. I'm excited about uh us being back in the fray yes. once again. And uh and we have a great, great episode for you guys today. So um this is No Pressure, No Diamonds Podcast. My name is Alex and I got my boy Tommy Solano. <laughs> and I have a great, great guest with us today. Um, true professional. Um, you know, is sought out, sought after in his field. Um, but first things first, just all around great guy. <laughs> you know, um, and and knowing that just by knowing how people talk about you when you're not in the room, that that that, <laughs> that says it all. Yeah, that reputation uh, is everything. Right? Absolutely, man. So you know, without without any further ado, we have um, you know mortgage lender, mortgage broker extraordinaire, Mr. Scott Hulan. How's it going, sir? Going good. Thanks again, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to hang out with you too. Hey. Absolutely. I think the pleasure is ours. <laughs> I, uh, honestly, uh, this is therapy for us, for for Alex and I. But uh, also, um, you know, selfishly, we we gain a lot from hearing from people like yourself and stuff. So yeah. I'm excited about it. Well, let's get into it, man. Um, so you know, we'll, so we're just kind of gonna dive right into it. Um, so tell the people just a little bit about, um, you know, maybe a little bit about your background. Um, you know, we're in the beautiful scent. Well, it ain't beautiful today, but we're Man, in the it's nice. <laughs> dude. I know what you're talking about. We needed this. I, I love this weather. <laughs> it's, it's crazy outside. It's cats and dogs hitting the windshield outside, by the way. Yep. Um, but tell the people just a little bit about your background, uh, you know, where you're from and, you know, we'll, we'll dive into it. All right. Well, you know what? Um, I'm a Southern California born and raised, um, and I spent a lot of my youth in the San Fernando Valley and then Santa Clarita. Uh, went to high school in the Valley and um, really kind of started my professional career here in the Los Angeles market. And uh, that took me uh, all the way out to Detroit for a little stint with General Motors. Hey. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know what? I think um, my uh, colleagues there used to take bets on, you know, how long the Southern California boy was actually going to last. You know, they probably uh, doing a little betting at the window on those sunny, on those uh, snowy days to see if I was going to show up. Um, you know what? For whatever reason, it only lasted a year, and I got an opportunity to moved back to California and um, that's where my mortgage career really started was in Monterey, California. And yeah. I was in a executive role. It's a nice place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what? Yeah, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't bad. Um, you know, going from Detroit to uh, Monterey was a good thing. It was good timing. And uh, and then I just kind of worked my way back down the coast, uh, spent some time in Santa Barbara and then Ventura and finally ended up uh, making my way back home in Santa Clarita around 2004. And, you know, so I've had a lot of different roles in the mortgage industry from, you know, loan officer to branch manager, uh, executive VP of a sales team of about 200. Oh my gosh, almost uh, 300 loan officers at the end there and uh, managing in about four states. So, 
Career's taken me all over the country. It's been fun. I love the mortgage business. You know, it has that um, uh, that ancillary payoff of helping people realize a dream. In a lot of cases, something that they've um, they've planned for a long time, mm-hmm. didn't think was possible, mm. and I'm a part of that. And then, you know, I, I make a living doing it, too. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I like that, man. And, you know, whenever, because ain't nothing wrong for getting paid for helping somebody. Nothing wrong with that, you know. Um, but it's feel good. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it's something about uh, it's like that push. We were talking about this the other day. That push pull effect. You know, yep. when you when you help when you really help somebody get over get over that hump, and like you said, help them realize something. They were just like, oh no, but it becomes a reality. It's almost like it, it gives you like an extra jolt of energy. Well, it's like know? one of the uh, probably the biggest piece of the American dream is being a homeowner. Um, so I can see what you're saying, but, um, in, so in Detroit, was it the job only lasted a year and then you got the opportunity to live or you only lasted a year and those dudes <laughs> cashed in on the bed? You, you know oh, what, man, um, leave it to time. I, I was, uh, I need to know. I, I, hey, you know what? Um, at that stage <laughs> in my life, I was, uh, you know, I like to think I was, um, I was prepared, but I was pretty lucky too, you know, and I was hustling. And um, it was just such timing that um, General Motors and GMAC Financial Services had purchased a mortgage company. And I was lucky enough to be working on location uh, with the gentleman that was going to be appointed head of Ditech at the time. And he looked at me and he said, hey, aren't you from California? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, would you consider moving to Monterey to you know, help us? manage a, a training team out there and i was you know tried to keep my cool you know not look too eager but you know my bags were packed i was ready <laughs> right. to go. Um, never unpacked when you got there huh? yeah like, pretty much you know <laughs> um my uh my wife at the time was having a tough time with the transition she sure. was you know uh, born and raised in marina del rey we didn't have any kids at the time and um that position Basically had me on an airplane on Monday, somewhere in the country doing training and then back there. So I spent the first part of my career, um, you know, uh, after I got done with the uh, the sales part of it, I started doing a lot of training and development. And they, mm. they started shipping me all over the country to do a number of different sales training, presentation training. That kind of became my forte. And then... Just by luck, we did a, a contract with the mortgage group, and that gentleman offered me the opportunity, and then that, that kind of was my entry into the the mortgage side of the business, mm-hmm. financial services. Into, I want to talk about just the, the training and um, teaching other people. So what would you say was one of your biggest uh, takeaways from teaching? So was this teaching mortgage – was this teaching um, – no, um, so, so what type of sales training was it? Was this like a, so what type of sales training was it? So I was originally um, moved to Detroit to be on a team called the, the General Motors University training team. And that was really teaching sales skills to any number of the entities that General Motors owned. So one week we might be training um, the uh Motors Insurance Company people who were going out to the dealerships to sell insurance services. 
We might be training uh, GMAC financial services people who are going out to the dealerships to sell any number of financing tools. The, you know, the smart lease products were the big thing at that time. And then the mortgage group, and they were really investing in teaching their loan associates basic sales skills because that was something that in our industry, the mortgage industry, that is, um, nobody really made that investment in teaching the um, the associates real sales skills, right? Mm. So I and then and then presentation skills became a big part of that. So I was teaching everything from you know the the uh, real true skill set of selling and presenting. Mm. That's fire. Because uh, so first of all, I didn't realize General Motors had their hands in so many different cookie jars, so to speak, right? But they're like, hey, you want a loan? You're coming through us. You want insurance? You're coming through us. You yeah. buying that car? It's coming through us, um, which is awesome. But um, so you didn't need to specialize. Is this fair to say, Scott, that you didn't need to specialize in the insurance, so to speak, or um, whatever was being offered by that sales team because the skills are, the, are universal? Is, it, is that fair to say? Yeah, spot on. You know, we had actually, um, General Motors, GMAC Financial Services, had made a big investment uh, in, a, in a group called um, the International Professional Selling Skills. Mm. And that was, um, that was a company that was an offshoot from Xerox. Xerox was really the very first ones to really come up with a full skill set sales training module by module right opening of a sales call um mm. you know the the um the quest the questions that you ask in a sales call right the closing of the sales call and they put that all together and then that became international selling skills a whole different company general motors invested in that and then when they created the gm university team that i was on we started to then take that out so to your point, it really didn't matter what you were selling, um, the setup of a sales call, the dynamics of a sales call, the different parts of a sales call, overcoming objections, it applied to whatever you were selling. Mm, following a system. Mm -hmm. you got <laughs> well, it. Xerox needed one, dude, because like they, they used to go like door to door, right? Or business to business, essentially, to sell this big old freaking machine. And you're trying to convince somebody <laughs> on why they need it. Like, you better take this computer. Uh, yeah. room. <laughs> you better know how long those ink cartridges last or whatever the case may be. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. And the, and the whole process of, you know, not just selling um, the features of anything that it might be, be it a car be it insurance product, be it a copier, right? Mm -hmm. But what's the benefit? What, what's the benefit to the user, right? And identifying that. And, you know, That's if you walk key. in asking a bunch of closed-end questions, um, that'll be a short sales call, right? Good. So, you know, teaching people to ask the open-end questions, identify the language of need, and then to come back and show benefits that satisfy the need. Mm -hmm. And then then, you know, summary and close. Mm, it, it applies to everything from SUVs to sweaters, huh? Really does. Yeah, <laughs> man. You know? Well, yeah, man, because you want to know what their need is, where the pain point, right? And then you figure out how you have something that can solve that. Well, you see a thread, pull on it, you know, 
uh, but recognizing the thread because some folks are, you know, it's, um, you know, so having a system too, but also having those open-ended questions, man, I think open-ended questions, that's the, that's the name of the game when it comes to being able to, you know, being able to, you know, finding those pain points and figuring out what somebody really needs, um, you know, cause like, so just an example of an open-ended question, you know, to somebody and, uh, you know, could be, um, I'll, I'll just give like an example, like what would somebody say if they needed like a, uh, I don't know, toothpaste <laughs> or a dentist, right? <laughs> say, say a dentist is sitting down with somebody. Yeah, one mutual. of my, one of my favorites was, you know, um, tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. Right. Tell me more. Yeah. And this is just shut up. Right. Let, let the customer, we used to train them to identify the language of needs. Right. So if you can get somebody talking about what's important to them, what do they need? What are they looking for? Then you can then identify out of the long list of features of your product, what one of those benefits or fills that need that they're looking for. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if I just sit down and I start, we used to call it benefit dumping, right? If I just start dumping all these benefits and they don't mean anything to you, they they don't, then the connection hasn't been made. Yeah. Then, then that sales call is going to be really short, right? Because people, people are, most people don't like to be sold. Right. And, uh, well, let me flip that around. People don't like to be told they like to be sold. Right. So Mm. if you can get them to talk about what's important to them, what are they looking for? What do they need? And then you can actually identify features of your product that satisfy that. Now, now you've got some value for taking up their time and being in front of them. Yeah. You say it, they defend it. They say it, they own it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and we used to talk a lot about, you know, identifying those, um, uh, what if um, a lot of loss for words, but um, when they overcoming objections, right? Because a lot of people don't, some people won't even know they need your product, <laughs> right? And so they'll be quick to say, um, that doesn't interest me. I don't need that, or I already have that. Right. And identifying what type of objection they're presenting to you, then you can and the only way to get that to you know peel back that onion is with an open-end question tell me more about that why is that why do you feel that way Um, what is it about what you're currently using you're currently doing that works for you why is it a benefit to you shut up don't word shut up yeah they'll tell you how to close them huh they'll tell you how to how to to sell them yeah that's it yeah people tell you how to close them all the time you know, it's, <laughs> I used to do this all the time. Try to think about the next thing I'm trying to think about saying, <laughs> like not really listening. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think about, all right, what's the next thing I'm going to say? And then I wasn't listening to what was going on. I mean, I'm just being you know, open and honest, but I mean, especially brand spanking new, you know, brand spanking new and, you know, and really any field. I mean, I think all fields need sales, but. You know, well, all fields you know, are sales, yeah. dude. Like you walk into yeah, a, bar, a retail that, yeah. store, they're 
trying to sell you something, right? Is there anything I can help you find? Uh, you go to the doctor, they're trying to sell you on treatments or whatever the case. I mean, it doesn't matter where you go. You're being doctor sold. Doctor sold me on this cleaning of the teeth. Ouch. Dude. <laughs> yeah, you can't even yeah. go to the dentist anymore. They're like, hey, no. we have this protective layer that you should consider. I'm like, bro, pull the tooth. <laughs> <laughs> Drill in there, man. Yeah, just, just, just put me out, please, bro. Um, uh, Nana, go ahead. Nana, no, go ahead. That, it, I, my thought was complete. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, man. So after, so Scott with, so now teaching those sales, teaching those sales, because there's one thing of doing it and then teaching it, right? Mm -hmm. And so what was that transition, you know, becoming more of a teacher, becoming a, a, a how was how was that process for you, you know, in, in becoming more of a coach, you know, and coaching people on those things? Yeah, well, you know, that was, I, I kind of went through, um, I, full, I, went, I feel like I went full circle, right? Because what got me the opportunity to move to Detroit, be on that team, become a certified sales trainer, um, become a certified presentation trainer was my performance in the field as a salesperson, right? So I got their attention because I was successful in doing it then they brought me out and, and really taught me the skill set around what I was doing and then asked me to start teaching others. And then when I got to Monterey, um, and there was at a time where the mortgage business was really going through um, uh, a real transition of, you know, the way it was used to be done and, and the future because really technology was starting to take hold at that time. And, uh, and I had a mentor in my life that came to me and said, you know, Scotty, you're really good at teaching everybody to do it. Um, you know, the money's made out there in the field doing it. And so I had to then take another step back and, you know, I said uh, goodbye to the six-figure, you know, salary and went 100% commission and, you know, took all those skills that I had been imparting on others to the field for, you know, um, real live demonstration, right? And, and was what I was teaching people and what I was mentoring people to do. Uh, now I was employing it in the field. And, you know, luckily um, it worked. <laughs> yeah. And, and I had a short time, uh, a short ramp of, you know, going from um, being a loan officer to then managing people and then to your point you know that becomes you know you're like the uh, the player's coach right mm. because I'm I'm on the field with you but I'm now coaching I'm recruiting and you know that went through a stage of you know before I really kind of started to have to step back and and um, I went about 50, almost 15 years not originating loans, but just managing different facets of the business, you know, from a middle management to, a, a, you know, upper management level. And now I've made the full circle back and I'm back on the street. And it, it's, you know, um, I think when we first met that, you know, I shared with you, it was uh, it was kind of a reboot for me and. I've been able to, you know, like I said, go full circle with taking all the experiences that I have. And when I sit down with a client, I really look at it from a different perspective because I've, I've looked at this industry from 
the the bottom to the top and and back down and, and and it's really gone through a lot of changes just in the last 10 years because of technology it's right. just mm. turned our industry upside down well you've seen it from all angles right and so man that gives you such an incredible perspective that insight i would imagine creates some separation between you and quote unquote competition but um so you had said something that I wanted to just get some clarification on. You had mentioned that getting into that opportunity uh, to go to Detroit and be part of that development team was due to the success you had in the field. But then you said they helped you develop this skill set that it sounds like to me you didn't realize you had. So were there just things that you did naturally, unknowing? the science behind like human nature and decision-making, like was that just a natural thing that you had that they kind of pointed out and you realized and then was able to develop more or how exactly did that work? You know, Tommy, I think it was a, um, a blending of the two Okay. because I did get training and I didn't know any better, but to do exactly as I was trained. You know, and, and so I think I was identified as one of those guys in the field that, hey, you know what? Wow. He, he's doing it exactly the way we trained him to do it. And that gave me the, you know, kind of the platform to then go up and be certified to really then transfer those skill sets to others. Right. So I, I you know, it was really a blend of both. I had that gift of gab and I was also a sponge. I didn't know any better. And, you know, I took the system, employed it, and didn't didn't deviate from that. And, and you know, it worked. That's interesting. Nuggets. I hope you guys caught it. <laughs> That's big, man. Having to trust um, the system, be coachable. You know, knowing, knowing, that, you, knowing that you don't know. <laughs> it, you know what I'm saying? Like that, there's, there's actually, there's wisdom in that. You 100%. know, like yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of wisdom in just knowing, like, you know what? I'm going to trust the words of people that are doing it and are having success. And obviously we have our own little way that we talk, but I'm going to follow this system, this proven method. Because what do I know? Like they're doing this, you know, and there's something about that. Like, you know, it's interesting when you see you know, some, sometimes people go from one field to the next, or they've had maybe major success in a field. And then they try to get into a different field. I guess it'll be, you know, um, say it's a, uh, I don't know. It could be somebody that's a good, or maybe a retail salesperson, and they, sure. you know, maybe they go into uh, car sales, right? Um, and they take like there's there's a difference, you know. There's a there's a big difference in selling, you know, underwear. a ten dollar t shirt and a fifty thousand dollar car. <laughs> it, you know, there, there's 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 probably similar open ended questions that you're asking, but if you know if you're going into thinking that you're just gonna you know kill in the car industry doing the exact same thing you were doing selling t shirts. It's a little bit. It's 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 different. You know, there's a system there. There's a method and the methodology there. And knowing to just maybe empty your cup, <laughs> empty your cup and and fill it up um, with the new information and new knowledge, man. And you know, that's something that um, I had to learn too. Well, stay new, right? Oh, you damn, stay yeah. new, stay new, man. I love it. Um, and some of that stuff, I would imagine they'll kind of overlaps, yeah. right? Like you mentioned, like there, some of those skills are universal. Um, however, each 
place where you're going to be uh, probably has, like you said, a different system. But I would imagine there is a different understanding of your consumer. I think that's probably the biggest difference, right? Whether you're doing a retail $100 jacket or underwear, I think is what you use, <laughs> versus, you know, tens of thousands of dollars or even hundreds of thousands, like in the, you know, situation with homes and stuff, or even up into the seven figure mark, there's a different decision making process. So understanding the consumer, would you say is the most important part? And that's why the open ended questions are invaluable? 100%. Yeah. It, it, I mean, again, it goes back to, Something that I had said earlier, that language of need, mm -hmm. right? understanding and, and having a, a keen ear for certain words that a consumer uses, and then um, to identify those and, and, and use those to get more information, right? So once you hear that language of need, then you want to go to those, those things and, and that's where you ask more open-end questions. You know, it's not just one open-end question. You know, it's a series of open-end questions with very strategically placed closed-end questions that will help you decide at a fork in the road, which way does the borrower, which way does the customer want you to go, right? So if, if what I'm hearing you say is, you know, having a means of saving money and creating wealth from a long-term perspective is important to you, right? Would you agree that putting your money somewhere every month where you know it's going to grow would be a good decision? Yes, no. Now I know yeah. we're on the same page. We're going the same direction. Right. That was fire right there. <laughs> that was that's perfect how to yeah because well, they're going yeah. to tell you right if that's a priority mm -hmm. or not if long term right might be the biggest key no i'm looking for something a little more short term okay then you gotta reroute but you're stacking these questions to get them to paint you a picture mm -hmm. i think right so yeah. you put your stamp on it peeling the onion back right right and 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 to understand what's at the core uh, what's at the core of what they want, right? Not not what I want to sell, but what what do they want to accomplish? I, I had a, a, you know, I've been so fortunate in in my career to have been around so many different professionals. Um, a comment I was going to make was just, you know, regardless of what you're selling and and what your career is, I think it's so important that you can be a good listener and be a good observer of those who are doing well, right? And, and and I was lucky enough to be surround myself with those type of people, to be influenced by those people. And and they would give me those little nuggets, you know, and, and those are things that stuck with me, right? Um, to, you know, hey, Scotty, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that was one that, man, just hit me between the eyes because I knew everything I needed to know about this or that, whether it was the, the financing of a car or the financing of a home. I knew it all. But people really, you know, I, you could lose people when you're talking about all the, you know. And, the and, data. Yeah, and you start bringing, you know, using acronyms and, 
and things and you lose them, right? And they don't really, it's, that's not important. What's important is that they know that you're sitting in front of them with a, with a genuine heart to help them solve a problem or get what they want, right? And so that's been one of those things that I've tried to focus on is, uh, you know, uh, you know, God give me two ears, one mouth. Use them accordingly. Right? Bad oh, order, huh? Yeah. Shoot, man. And Dude, this is masterful right now. I hope people are really paying attention and taking some notes here because I know I am, and I'm going to revisit this for sure. Because being, um, you know, knowing your craft, you know, transferring skill, um, but caring about the people that you're doing it with, man, that's like that. You know, it's like, by yourself, you can go fast, but with other people, you can go far. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, and when you care about the people that you're working with as, as clients and when you're caring about the people that you're working with as, you know, teammates and associates and building a, um, you know, being a player's coach, as you said, being a player's coach and meeting people where they're at uh is something that people just remember whether they stay with you forever or not or it was maybe a blip in the you know in the in the dash of life uh people uh people will remember like you know what man the reason why i love scott is because dot 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 you know and and they'll always take that with them wherever they go so uh man just imparting that uh imparting that on people i wanted to get into just some of the just some of the things about um about nowadays you know and, and folks you know, especially in California, <laughs> buying a house in California is kind of, you know, it's, it's getting interesting out here, right? But what are some of the, you know, because some folks, you know, some folks are like, you know, I could just continue to rent. You know, I'm doing okay. I'm renting my, you know, I'm renting my house or apartment or condo or, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that, you know, because I can kind of pick up and go if I wanted to or do, do whatever the case is. Um, but what's, but why is it so important, man, to, or, or what are some of the, uh, some of the reasons why it's, why it's important to, to be a homeowner nowadays. Well, you know what? I think the first thing that comes to mind is um, pride of ownership. Um, I think that, you know, we were talking about the American dream. And, and, it, and when people say American dream, I think most people, like you were alluding to, Tommy, is immediately you think owning a home, mm-hmm. right? Because in so many countries around the world, that's not even an option. You're you're never going to own a home. And so many immigrants come to America because that's an option. And and so that dream and that pride of ownership of something that, you know, is beyond, um, you know, the watch, the car, the the. the, the depreciating assets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that pride of ownership is where it all starts. And, and, and so many people have that dream of having something that they can call their own, that they can, um, you know, customize and, and take care of and, and nurture. And that becomes an asset in some cases. And, you know, you look at, at the past and, you know, um, Ownership of property, real property, becomes the wealth of could be future generations, right? Um, you by owning a home, you can actually impact future generations of your family. So I think it starts there. 
And then, you know, the reality of, hey, we're all taxpayers. Um, and, and you and I have a, have a, have a common friend in our, uh, in our networking group, and, and he says, uh, let's see if I can get this right, quoting him, you know, it's your, um, it's your American obligation to pay taxes. It's your duty to pay as little as possible, <laughs> right? I mean, we have to pay them, but let's pay as little as possible. And one of the ways to shelter yourself from taxes is to be a real property owner. Mm. And so that's the first thing is, you know, you see these um, young guys and gals coming out of college. They're making great money. And then they sit down with the tax man at the end of the year. And, you know, that's all going to Uncle Sam. And so now you got to start thinking, how, how do you shelter that? Well, the first thing is become a homeowner. And then again, to, you know, building wealth, it's forced savings, right? Mm. Um, look, the, the truth of it is, uh, as much as people might talk about, hey, you, you know, you need to, you know, pay yourself first, right? And, and um, save at least 20% of your monthly income, in a savings. Hey, uh, if you're trying to start a family, you're living in Los Angeles, um, that can be difficult, right? Because, man, keeping a roof over your head, building a family, um, paycheck to paycheck is how a lot of people live. So, hey, which pay, makes purchasing a home difficult too, though. Right? Right? <laughs> it, yeah. it, it does, you know? And, and hey, I've got, I've got some answers to that. But, you know, pay yourself first. So by virtue of being a homeowner, you're actually paying yourself first, right? Because you're pay, taking a little piece of that money every month, and that's going into that principal part of that loan buy-down. That's going into that asset that, by and large, appreciates over time, right? So you're... What you're, would you say the magic point is as far as years to actually have the home be... Uh, an asset that has appreciated versus maybe breaking even initially. Cause I, I mean, we sold our home a couple years ago and 10 years into making payments, we had only taken down 21,000 of the principal. The rest has gone towards interest. And so what we ended up selling the house for was almost 200,000 over what we purchased it for. But based on what we had put into the house monthly over those 10 years, it was just about even as far as getting our money back. You know what I mean? So what is the magic point there? And I'm not against buying a home. I'm looking to buy one uh, again here, but I'm looking at paying more of it off faster so that I have more equity sooner. Is that smart or? Yeah, as well. So there's, there's a couple of ways to look at it. And, and look, the first thing is to understand how mortgages and amortization work. Welcome to the No Pressure, No Diamonds podcast, where entrepreneurs come to harness their struggles, doubt, fear, negativity, and setbacks. They place pressure on the blessing of adversity to become the strong, fearless, excited, passionate winner they were destined to be, a, a diamond. diamond. And to your point, in the beginning stages of an amortization schedule, right, a lot of people flash right by that. It's about 15 pages in the middle of your 
65 loan documents yeah and it's just number after number after number and date and it, well if you look at that um there's a rule that's being applied there and the interest is being paid up front mm -hmm. right so how do you combat that there's there's some really neat ways to do that one of them is just by making additional principal payments every month or what's known as a bi-weekly monthly payment right where you don't make you don't pay any more during a monthly payment schedule you're just paying in advance the principal and because of the way that the servicing companies have to apply that to the loan over time you can actually take a 30-year loan and it'll end up being more like about a 25 to oh, 25. Tw about 24 to 25 years depending on the loan amount mm -hmm. right just not by paying any more then if you just add to that a hundred dollars right so in terms of strategies right to to accelerate the principal buy down to to your point realize more of that at the time you go to sell mm -hmm. it's super simple stuff and and it's discipline um when i first started in the mortgage industry there were entire companies built around this bi-weekly payment right and they'd take four or five six dollars a month from each of your payments so twelve dollars maybe to make those payments for you but today with you know the advancements of online checking everybody could do that themselves right now, now that and, and i always say to people the first month's the hardest right but but once you get past that first month it's no different. You're not doing anything different. Not one penny more. It's just that first month, it feels like a little bit extra. But then, you know, so you set it up with your, you know, your Chase checking, your Wells Fargo, and you go in and you just put it in there to make that payment on the 30th of each month, not the first, and the 15th of each month, and then turn it on auto pay and leave it alone. And then, like I say, if you if you really want to have impact there, add fifty dollars to each one of those. Now you're paying a hundred dollars a month towards principal, plus you're advancing that principal payment each month. It'll work out to you know anywhere between one to two full principal payments annually, and that'll accelerate your 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 interest in that asset. Right. Interesting, yeah. Because I was just doing the math because I, I like doing math. Um, and I was, I was just, <laughs> weirdo. I was just doing the math on it, and I was like, "Yo, yeah." I'm like, "Okay, well, twenty five hundred bucks a month." You say you say it was twenty five years instead of thirty. Twenty five hundred bucks a month. That's sixty. It's a five years, sixty months. That's one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I mean. Of interest, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you know that's one hundred and fifty thousand like, dollars of, of of interest, man. You're saving and say, and even extra fifty bucks on top of that. You know, every you know, and it's not paying anymore. It's just restructure how you pay, you know, and it's you planning for you. That's that's a big. I would deal. imagine there's so many variables though, like um, 
and again, this is no knock on industry or anything, but refinancing like isn't always good. Like I read somewhere that the average homeowner refinances every five to seven years. And I could, you know, obviously that could not be accurate, but uh, that just tells me that like they're not paying their house off in 30 years, nor do they plan on it. And so at what point after that family or that owner passes, does that house actually potentially become a liability to future generations versus an asset. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and I had a family member when I sold my house, they're like, you're crazy. I'm like, well, let me ask you this. How long have you been making payments on your home? And they said, uh, 26 years. And I said, what's your average payment? I know it's gone up because of property taxes and stuff, but let's just say $1,500 a month. Is that fair to say? Average over 26 years? I said, yeah. I said, okay, let's do the math on that. And we added that up. And I said, now, how much do you think you could sell your house for? Half a million? They said, no. I said, well, you're a half a million in the hole based on the refinance the pool you put in the patio the maintenance of the house your mortgage payments over those times and all that like you can't get a half a million for it but you've already put a half a million plus into it over 26 years so um when i when i when i factor in those things i'm like man is it better to sell sooner or like i mean i would imagine like anything it's a matter of timing right like stock market and stuff like that but but location i guess was another variable right because if you're in a location where Sought after. The value doesn't go up as much versus being in a place like Monterey, right? Mm -hmm. It's that's a huge difference. But when you look at places like I, I grew up in the Antelope Valley for a while. Um, I don't know how how long do you think, Scott, the Antelope Valley is from having those million dollar homes in the cookie cutter communities? Because now, like I grew up in Pacoima for the first half of my of my life in San Fernando Valley. Man, you go out there and you have a little 800 square foot house and they're 800, 900,000, close to a million dollars. And I could never imagine paying that for what you're getting other than proximity to Los Angeles, I think. Um, but at, like how far out do you think a place like Palmdale is from that? Well, you know what? Um, I think that's a that's a tough question. But here's what I will say about and I would say to any area in general, um, what you have to look at is what what's the plan? Right. Right. And so for Palmdale, I would say, you know what? I think that's probably sooner than later sure. today, you know. Uh, now, what it, it was, I think if you look at chart, if you chart it out, those values plateaued and stayed level for a long, long time, time. Yeah. right? And and quite frankly, probably took a dip harder than most in that 2010 oh. to 2017. Um, but what you look at is, hey, what's the aero industry doing out there, mm -hmm. right? Um, is the is the high speed train a reality? Is right. the international is, is airport the international airport a reality? Right. Um, so I look at you know what is what is industry doing out there? You know Boeing and Northrop Grumman, they're they're investing in that area, right? They're putting. So I think you know, hey, I think there's a reality of in the next ten years, there's going to be a substantial increase in what those properties are worth, just by virtue of the people that are going to have to go out there, right? The jobs aren't going to be 
for so long you lived there and you went somewhere else for the job. Mm -hmm. Now they think the jobs are going to go there because the one thing that they don't make any more of, right? They don't make dirt. They don't make land. Right. And there's plenty of it out there, and industry sees that, right? That's part of that's part of the reason that um, I think you know what we've seen happen in in the Santa Clarita Valley, right, has been just mind blowing for somebody, especially like me. I moved out here, and you know, my mom and I moved out here in '81. Okay. And and I've seen pictures. Just, it's a different world. Yeah. It's the moon, right? <laughs> it was like the moon. It's yeah. crazy. But, you know, you think back and you look at um, what, what the visionaries of New Holland and Farm and what they did in terms of um, master planning this community. And, and it's an example for so many areas. Um, in fact, Alex and I were talking about something that's happening in, in the um, just outside of um, uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And, you know, it's they... Are, have learned from communities like Santa Clarita and Valencia and they're pre-planning and master planning what's just today open fields and wide open area um, because industry is making an investment there, right? Um, Ford announced, I think, uh, something like, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to say $6 billion, but I, I feel like it's even more wow. than that, that they're going to build their mega um, factory there for building electric cars. All of their electric cars will be built on the same platform, and they'll be built there. So that community I, I wonder that, why. Does, does Tennessee get more sunshine than Detroit? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, and you know what? Uh, I think it's, you know, hey, follow the money. Right. right? For sure. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not about um, where those cars are going to go. But, you know, if they need a couple million square feet of dirt, it's going to be a lot cheaper in Tennessee than California. I mean, look at the, you know, look at what's happening Tesla. with Tesla, right? Yeah. They're going to Texas. And then the next thing is then you look at, you know, where are you going to have employability, right? Where, where are the people? And then those people that come, where are they going to be able to afford the American dream. If they're right. going to work and, and, you know, check in and check out in a factory every day, where are they going to be able to take those dollars and realize they're part of the American dream? Well, you know, I think Tennessee, is Tennessee, Texas, those places uh, represent that opportunity. And for business, you know, you look at Texas, I mean, this are so friendly uh, to, to yeah. business owners. Yeah. And, and so it, it's interesting because I didn't want, well, no, I did want to, but I wasn't going to bring that up or, or, or ask because it can somewhat go political and that's not what this conversation is about. But with what's happening in California, how do you foresee a lot of major businesses leaving? Like Warren Buffett left, right? The Daily Show left with Ben Shapiro. Joe Rogan took his business somewhere else. And so when you say follow the dollars, we're talking billions upon billions of dollars leaving the state. Obviously, it leaves openings for other businesses to come in. But when you're in a state that's not necessarily friendly to independent contractors and business owners and they're looking at raising the taxes and stuff, like where do you see the mortgage industry specifically or home ownership specifically going in California? 
And is it like a safe place to look to purchase for investments? Because obviously it's ideal land, right? Weather and stuff like that. But when you have a mass exodus, it also brings in people that have money and they buy everything up. We actually seen that in Palmdale, like after 2008, where stuff was so cheap because of the crash, but new homeowners couldn't get a home because they were just being outbid by all cash buyers. And these dudes were buying four, five, six houses on the block at a time. Mm-hmm. So like, like, how does those things affect home ownership in the state it's a beautiful state by the way but we've been thinking about leaving too to texas tennessee south carolina uh, places like that yeah you know i mean um george is the new hollywood Mm -hmm. right they got hollywood out there right tyler perrywood or whatever they call it no true right i mean so you look at again um there's a housing shortage in america right that that's just the fact in terms of um, and Population then, yeah, versus- in terms of in terms of when you look at um, the number of people that could be homeowners, and then the opportunity for them to be homeowners, there's a shortage, right? That's why you see the home builders, KB Home, Lennar, they're not they've not slowed down in acquiring property. Right. In acquiring those. So when you say property, you're talking land. Yeah. Okay. Right. You're talking the dirt. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. Because they see. And again, those are the visionaries that see the opportunity. The 50 year plan, the 100 year plan. Yeah. Right. When 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 a lot of us are working on the five and the 10 year plan, to your point, those those guys are looking way, way, way beyond that. And then I think you look at. you know, one thing that I've talked about in other forums where a lot of people missed uh, a key component of what happened in between 2004 and 2007. And, and the home builders really were caught blindsided, right? Because they were. With the banking industry? Did? Well, no, because of the numbers. And they weren't looking at the numbers, population numbers, right? Mm. So there's something that a lot of people in hindsight, they figured out that, you know, right then the home buyer, the the first time home buyer population is usually identified as that post-college, right? So you're looking at 26 to 35, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there was less of those people in 2004 to 2010 than ever before in history. Because if you go back, there was a dip in the population for the first time ever around 1970. You know, just a little fun trivia. It's the women's movement mandate. Does anybody know why? Uh, I would say the women's movement. Well, so well, you're, 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 real real you're real close. Oh, they only started entering the work. Roe versus Wade. Abortion. Uh, the, popu- the the illegalization of abortion literally took a dip in the population numbers, and it was the first time ever because we were just coming out of baby boomers, right? right. Which is one of the largest yeah. largest numbers of population that we can track. You know, you, you look at hey, what, what is what, what is that group doing? Then you're going to want to be ready to provide them for whatever it is that they're yeah. getting ready to buy, right? Yeah, there was a demand. No, sure. Number one selling car of all time to this Mustang. day, 1964 Mustang, because they were all turning 16. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they missed that in that that population in that time frame. So there was like a perfect storm, right? Where there weren't as many of them to be buying homes. The home builders were building and then they were caught with standing inventory. And then you bring in the economic impacts of what was going on at that time. And it was a dumpster you know, fire. It was a collapse. With right? gas. Fast forward to today, that home buyer population of the 26 to 35 is equal to the baby boomer. In fact, it's more than that Gen X, that group is bigger than the than the baby boomers. So and not to mention that they don't have those uh, the baby boomer jobs. These these kids have. Oh, they're bouncing from job jobs to job. And they're, yeah, and they're moving. They're not afraid to move. Right. The pandemic has even, uh, you know, magnified that, right, where they can make that income anywhere. Mm-hmm. They can be in Georgia. They can be in Texas. They can be in Tennessee and make California money. Well, that's kind of like our situation. How many times have you heard me say that? I'm like, bro, I could go anywhere, save a ton of money, but still be making California money because mm-hmm. remotely. Yeah. And no territorial limits, and you know. And then you look at the states that are, um, you know, not taxing your personal income, right? So you got Nevada, Florida, Florida. Oh yeah, no state right? tax. Texas, Washington, Texas, right? So you know, benefits. You you really look at all of those things, and then you know, then then there's climate change, right? Because there's there's definitely some impacts that again, the people that are thinking, you know, out. 10, 20, 30 years, um, what, what will, you know, what will the, uh, the climate look like in places like the Midwest versus California? You know? Well, California just got dumped on and it's getting dumped on. And I, I heard, uh, is it mammoth that my wife was looking at? Like every, the roads up there are closed, right? But mammoth just got, I think 197 inches over the last week or two of snow. Like, dude, that place is going to be open till June for snowboarding. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's crazy. So, yeah. yeah, there's yeah, there's definitely a, something going on there too. Um, yeah. So I don't know as far as you know predicting what's going to happen. I, um, I'm definitely staying out of that business because I had I I'm probably going to be wrong. All I do know is things are changing. Mm-hmm. Um, things are um, there's there's a very fluid um, change in, in terms of what people want too, right? The next generation. I mean, we got a perfect example right here in Five Points. I don't know if you guys have been up there to look at those homes. Mm-mm. Go look at those homes there's and, no yard. and, and then and then compare it to say. West Ranch, right? Just just one over, which was a housing development that was built for buyers like myself in that 2000 to 2010. And then you look there, there are no yards. They're um, they're more vertical than wide. wide. Um, They don't want to take care of yards. Why? Because they want to take their expendable income and and go get it. You got it, brother. Right? So... Hey, it's not as important for me to own this big place. Hey, I still want, you know, I, I meant to say too, the thing that, that I don't think was a part of your equation when you were talking about, hey, I'm paying, I'm paying, I'm paying, and eh, maybe did I get out of it? 
the tax benefits of that now granted in the last four years, that's changed a little bit. Yeah, well, I think Trump took away the ability for a while to well, write off your property tax, right? Well, he didn't take it away, but he did, he it. definitely limited it, right? Yeah. So, but but here's the here's the reality of it. You know, a lot of people go, well, oh, you know, Trump can't. Here, let's get real, especially with interest rates as low as they are, mm -hmm. for a married couple, that's twenty four thousand dollars a year as a tax credit. That's a good chunk of change, right? Sure. Um, and most of us are not going to have mortgages that are going to be above that. Now, if you're above that, that probably means that, you know, you have a seven, eight million dollar mortgage. So you're in a different category altogether. But for the first time homebuyers, for most of the population that are buying the four or ending up with a four to six hundred thousand dollar loan. As a married couple, twenty-four thousand dollars in in interest credit is still a lot. You got twelve thousand as an individual, twenty-four as a married couple. So, again, bring that back into the picture. If you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year, hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year, hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, and you can get twelve thousand dollars of that sheltered, you know, in, from the taxes, that's a big deal, mm -hmm. right? So you know, build that into a five-year plan and you got to say, okay, yeah, I paid that money in, but then I also, you know, was able to do some $64, things. $64,000 in tax, in tax. That I didn't pay. Tax benefit. Okay. Right? Because if you're not a homeowner, then, we'll, you know, you probably, unless you're a business owner, you're not going to have any write-offs. Right. Right? Yeah, and, right and, and, and the more you, and then again, you go back to these, you know, young guys and gals coming out of college, they're making 150 K you, they're paying, they're paying, right. You know, that, single, that, that reality, that reality, yeah, of don't that. Have some kids, man. <laughs> you know, get, you, know you gotta, you gotta start looking for, you know, the marriage tax benefit, the, the kids benefit, you know, oh, Hey, but you know, um, now we need to, you know, worry about, uh, you don't get the, you don't get them as a tax write off till they're 18 anymore. Right. So uh, that, that got taken away. You know, we, we definitely as Americans, we took a little haircut um, under uh, under that that regime. And and there's you know, there's give and takes. Right. I don't want to get political either. But, yeah. you know, hey, let's get real about the numbers. Sure. And hey, I didn't get to write off um, my 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 youngest. Right. When he turned seventeen, the year he turned seventeen, he was no more, no more longer a tax benefit to me, right? Mm. So I told him pack bags. I mean, but there's, some, <laughs> there's there's some loopholes there too, right? Unless they're like a full time student or something. No, really? No, I didn't realize the year that. Mine are still the year young. They so. turned seventeen. They're no, you no longer get that tax benefit. <laughs> so, get out, yeah. dude. so I, I said, "What's the plan, man?" Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, bags are packed. Just to be fair and go back, I didn't factor in the taxes, and so I, I appreciate you bringing that up um, because we did save for ten years. Uh, I would we had ten years of write-offs on, on, uh, on that. So I, and, that that and, was something I didn't factor in. And prior to twenty sixteen. There wasn't a cap on that. I don't know that 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 mattered in your situation, but you know, certainly, um, I was in a position in the past where, you know, especially with um, you know those interest-only mortgages that you know were so popular in two thousand four, um, 
you know, it was easy to exceed that $24,000 a year in tax credit mm -hmm. and people were getting that that went away and now let's you know let's be real too in 2004 when people were buying homes in Tesoro and um, uh, West Ranch right if I could get you 5.9% interest on a house that was real close to the same prices of today you were good with that right yeah Today, nobody's happy with that. Nobody three percent, you know, yeah. like, wait a minute, can't you give me 2.75? Right? So, you know, again, being relative to man, that I mean, you're the buying power that people have today with the interest rates that we're dealing with is crazy. How long, how long do you feel like that's gonna, you know, last. gonna last? You know, because it's a you know, is that something we're, uh, and like you said, we're not getting into the crystal ball business, right? But, you know, situations like this aren't going to last forever, man. You know, because that's, yeah, like that's doing pretty good. Two and a half, three percent. Not going to last forever. I think there's a return to normal, right? And I don't know what normal is, right? But it's not two and a half, maybe not even three and a half, right? Um, it's something north of that. But in the same breath, what makes the American economy different from the rest of the world? It's what we're talking about. It's home ownership. And every time a home is sold, there's durable goods that are sold. There's services that are provided. The appraiser goes to work. The realtor goes to work. The gardeners go to work. The, the, you know, the plumber goes to work. There are so many ancillary services. I, I don't recollect what the, but there's something like 30 local businesses are impacted positively by the by the sale of each home mm. everywhere in America. I, I mean, and, I believe it. Yeah. And it's what makes us different. Again, you know, you just, you know, go to Greece, right? And, and you see stairways going to heaven because that house will never be financed. It'll never get done until the family that owns that land has enough money to put the second floor up and pay <laughs> for it. Yeah, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's wild. If you ever get a chance to you know, drive around uh, some of the suburbs of, of Greece is a perfect example where you know, the, the infrastructure for home ownership and mortgages, it's, it's not like it is in America. And, you know, where where it exists, the same impacts and the same benefits exist, too, right? Because every time um, a property is sold, there's going to be, you know, 30 other tradesmen that are going to benefit, right? Because somebody's going to want to put in furniture. Well, you have glazers, like the glass workers, electricians, yeah, plumbers, tile. like you said, landscapers, the roofers, freaking... Yeah. Drywall installers, like, yeah, yeah, I could imagine new refrigerators, new yeah, and, and you know, there was also a, a General Motors. My experience there also showed that um, within six months of buying a home, almost everybody buys a new car, right? So it, they're, well, they're, yeah, you got to you got to have something nice in the driveway, <laughs> right? Keep up with the Joneses and all that, but yeah. yeah. So you know, there's there is that you know well. You know, hey, now we're getting that tax benefit. I mean, there's all these things that that come from um, the sale of real property and the benefits that that brings to a community. 
And then, you know, it's all relative to the sale prices, the value of those homes. Um, but man, you know, you're looking at, um, uh, my partner is, um, we're partnered with the number one home builder in the state of Texas, number one independent home builder in the state of Texas. And, um, they've got 40 communities in Texas right now, you know, and they're, they're trying to slow the sales, right? So, you know, cause, every, it, cause they got all these California people trying to get out of California. Don't, yeah. don't California, my Texas. Is <laughs> yeah. 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 But well, I'm coming suckers. <laughs> I've, been looking, I've been looking out there a lot, but, uh, That's so if money wasn't a thing, Scott, just, uh, just one more question probably for me, but if money wasn't a thing, where would you say somebody like myself should spend money would it be on purchasing multiple homes would it be on purchasing a large piece of land like thousands of acres potentially that is buildable for the future would you say it's in multi-units uh, and i think the obvious answer is all of the above if money wasn't a thing but if i could do one where or you could do one let, let, let me ask you that it's more of an opinion if you could do one what would you do I think that's pretty easy for me to say. The The answer is um, income producing property, right? At, at whatever scale that is for you based on your abilities and, and, and your, um, your, your capital, mm-hmm. income, pro, income producing properties, right? So you're talking about like monthly rent or are you talking about like Airbnb? Um, I'm talking, well... <laughs> Again, what, what what's your capital structure? But but I think for the average American, right? My hey, be a be a homeowner first, and then what's next? And and even if um, I've I've had a number of conversations with you know some of these Gen Xers that aren't sure is California going to be home? Not sure. They're making good money buy an investment property in Tennessee, in Georgia, in North oh, no, Carolina, state where it's a right? little more friendly. So they can, they can buy those homes. Now, um, you know, you can, with, uh, with all the right intentions, not to steer anybody in the, in the, in the direction of mortgage fraud, but you know, if you can buy a second home somewhere, right. And, for the time period that that's not your residence, then you can Airbnb it, right? That's a beautiful thing. Or if you can identify areas, you know, we were talking about this happened in San Antonio back in 2004. There were, I did a lot of loans for Californians that purchased homes in and around the San Antonio area because the Toyota had, had announced they were going to start building tundras there. So there's that that phase of, you know, build the factory, then start to, you know, create the factory, then run the factory. Well, there were the need for rental homes for a decade there. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and whether it's multi-unit properties, whether it's commercial property, whatever you uh, have, have a, have an appetite for the loss, right. Or you have the capital ability um, buying real property that becomes income property, right? So if somebody else is paying the mortgage, even if it's a break-even, you know, 
your instance of hey, if somebody else had been paying that oh, mortgage for my ten years, right? Yeah. They're bringing the equity to you every month, Ugh. and then you know if you look back over time, um, I was just telling a story of a of a an uncle in Ohio that um, you know got barely got out of the eighth grade. But what did he do with his money over the years? When a neighbor sold the house in their neighborhood, he bought that house and he turned it into a rental. Today, you know, at 80 years old, he's he got owns Ohio. three properties <laughs> on that street. That's crazy. That, uh, that have been paid for by other people mm-hmm. and they're owned free and clear. So when they pay $1,000 and they pay $1,000 and they pay $1,000. It's 3000 in his pocket. Right. And and again, in an area where gas is two dollars and nineteen, you know, two dollars and seventy cents a gallon, or what have you, they're paying you to fill up the yeah. tank. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know. So yeah, that's my answer. Is you know, if you can invest in income producing property uh, where somebody else is paying the mortgage, even if it's a break even, because then, you know, now again, go back to the taxes, right? Everything you do relative to maintaining that is a tax write-off right because you know your maintenance and and even if that becomes a little bit of a loss that's okay too that's a write-off for you um and somebody else is well the income is also income though too so that yeah that's it but you can you can literally you know you can do you, there's some you know uh very savvy tax sure. you know like yep. our friend uh, matt denny you know yeah. say hey there's ways to Link uh, below, write off man, the depreciation. Like, hey, I know, Matt. I like that guy. <laughs> There's ways to write social off media friends. <laughs> depreciation uh, and uh, maintenance to, you know, offset that income. Mm. Yeah, interesting. You know, There's like, ways to do it, man. And like you said, for savings, somebody. but it's somebody else paying your savings for you, basically, right? When you say for savings, um, and you know, kind of last, I wanted to end off with this or uh, before. Uh, before we head out was just some of the misnomers. Like what are some of the, you know, kind of the myths about, you know, maybe being a homeowner? Like what are some of those, you know, myths uh, that people just like, like, you know, somebody's making, you know, say 80 grand or, you know, maybe a little bit under a hundred thousand dollars. And they're like, okay, I'm paying this rent. You know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay doing it. I don't know if I can really afford a house. Like I don't know. You know, I got, all right, like I know in the rent, I kind of understand like what every, how everything's gonna break down, but I don't really, I don't know how these lights is gonna, I don't know how much these lights are, how much you know all the expenses are gonna come into it, but in the long run, you know what are you know what are some of those benefits and or or really what are just some of the um we we talked about the benefits, but what are some of those uh you know misnomers that people have when it comes to home buying? First one that comes to mind is you need twenty percent down, right? Uh, you know, if you've been around those baby boomers, right? My folks um, and their folks, 20% down. And I think that's the first thing that if people put that in their head, then, you know, especially let's go back to this area. That seems absolutely impossible, right? Uh, Look at half a million dollar house, 20% down. I don't have it. There's no, and with kids and there's no way I'll get there. Right. So that's the first myth is you don't need 20% down, right? There's programs you can put as little as 3% down. Everybody hears, everybody knows about FHA. That's for first time buyers. Right. Well, no. So FHA is built for, right? The Federal Housing Administration built that loan. It's government backed for first time home buyers. Um, 
but that doesn't mean it was your first home. That just means you haven't owned a home or, or had interest in an FHA loan in the last three years. So interesting. So every three years you can use. Yeah. So you you once you've once you've not been a homeowner, but but now here's the other thing is three and a half percent down. That sounds great. Well, there's a another loan that has nothing to do with being a first time home buyer that you can put down three percent. Right. So that's backed by Fannie and Freddie. So that's a conventional loan. So that just means you have maybe better credit then or or you're and you're uh you're not getting a gift right so uh, fha allows for a lot of creativity and it opens the door for a lot of folks right um the other myth is well i got i gotta have perfect credit right well what's perfect credit 850 right you know um <laughs> well you know Hey, anything, I get people, you know, nobody, it's one of those things where, you know, um, most people are more critical of themselves sure. than even a lender will be, right? So, you know, hey, FHA will allow you to have credit as low as 620 to get a home. Conventional loans usually need to be above 650. And anything really above a 760, 780 is really considered above average. If you have a 780 and I have an 800, I'm not really going to do any better in the credit world than you are. There's, you know, when you get above 800, that's just ego. Right? <laughs> it's just, you know, okay, great. You, you're an 810. That's awesome. Um, 780, I'm going to get money at the same price you are. Right. Right. Mm. Um, and then, you know, and then, What's come back to the marketplace is 100% financing. And 100% financing is not something to just, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, how about if I said to you 100% financing, and if you make the payments for five years consecutively on that second, I'll forgive it. Right? So that wow. loan's available. Right? Wait, so there's, there's a way... To get into and and there's loans the out there there's loans out there that you know will do the same but now they're going to limit the income right because they're backed by bonds and government programs so they're targeting lower income folks to be eligible for those loans well the loan that I just described doesn't have that so that's private money from Wall Street coming to the marketplace seeing an opportunity where people making good money can't save a down payment, want to be homeowners, how are they going to do it? 100% financing, right? So Or or 3% down, right? They can do that too. Put the 3% down or you can get um, closing costs in that as well. So you could literally, you know, you've got people where, they got two incomes, no kids, making good money, don't have any savings. They can handle a mortgage. Once you figure out what that mortgage payment is, they can get into a home with 0% down. And after five years of payment, that second that was created for them for the down payment and the closing costs is forgiven. Interesting. Um, so I... I I have one more question because you brought this or this got brought up. Um, 
How about for people that are on, let's say, a 1099, where there's not a consistent commission-based people specifically, right? Like on a 1099 commission-based, where there's not a lot of consistency, how hard or how easy, potentially, either way, uh, is it to qualify for a home? Double-edged sword, right? And, and it and it goes back to um, how are how are you uh, managing your taxes, right? Because a lot of people that are ten ninety nine, right, are they're maxing uh, are, out write offs, and and so that becomes a double edged sword because you're gonna pay less in taxes, but then when you come to someone like myself and you put all that paperwork in front of me and it looks like you don't make any money. Uh, and I'm trying to qualify you for, you know, a mortgage, it's a problem. Now, back to Wall Street, what we've seen is since 2010 to about 2017, um, the secondary market, as we refer to it in the lending business, was all but absent, right? Those guys had taken it so hard in the meltdown of, you know, what, what the kind of loans that those guys were doing, um, they took it so hard that they weren't coming back to play. We saw between... Lehman Brothers. <laughs> we saw between, uh, you know, 2016 to 2020, those guys started to come back to the market, right? So not in exactly the same aggressive mode, but they saw an opportunity for the self-employed borrower who couldn't get a conventional loan, but they have money, right? So now we have, and, and I say 2020 because there was a moment in time, pandemic, uh, where those loans disappeared from the marketplace overnight. Right. Like literally anything that was built for the self-employed borrower got taken away off the market overnight mm -hmm. because the risk assessment was those their doors are closed, right? Their restaurants are closed. Their businesses are closed. Nobody's lending to them. Um, so now we've seen that start to come back. So to give you a short answer is there are loan programs that are available. You know, if the conventional world is going to give you a 3%, they're going to give it to you at five or six percent, right? But those loans are back. Wall Street looks for opportunities. They can see the money on the street. They can see that, you know, look, if, if a self-employed guy shows nothing on his taxes, but he's got a 700 credit score and you can see that debts are being paid every month, there's money being made. There's money to pay those debts. So they look for alternative ways to prove that, usually through bank statements or your PL. And and so, you know, it comes down to um, a you're gonna be able to save a bunch of money over here on your taxes. You're gonna pay a little bit more in the interest rate when you go to get loans. Interesting. Okay. All right. So it's not impossible, guys. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's just like you said. It's uh, you know, it's a business owner. You get so many write off. You know, you get so many. You get all, you get all these benefits, but on one end, you know, you just you just got to pay a little more to play on that end. 
I'd say um, there's two things, right? Where there's a will, there's a way. And then all that takes is getting together with somebody like myself that will help you plan for that. Because if you, if, you, if you don't have a plan, plan to fail. Right? And that failure will cost you money because maybe you don't become a homeowner. You can't pick up that income property. You can't realize the American dream. Right. Mm. So based on somebody's income, or so how does somebody know, like, I can actually afford a house? Like, say, I know they were doing, was it like 40% of somebody's gross income or something, something around that? Was that around the number? Yeah, the magic number is really that 40, 45%, right? I'll use that number because there's some play there. Um, what, uh, you know, when we came out of that meltdown, right? There were some rules and regulations put in place to try to protect Wall Street and Fannie and Freddie mm -hmm. from, you know, catastrophic losses or where people were buying homes they just couldn't afford, right? So what, what came of that was what's called a qualified mortgage, and that's at that 42% debt-to-income ratio. So that's kind of the magic number is 42%. If you can, if you can just look at, hey, what's my gross income Divide all the housing expenses, not including utilities, back into that. So your, you know, your house, uh, your housing expenses, which includes taxes and insurance, right? Um, all your other debts that are going to show up on a credit report, right? Uh, doesn't include utilities and and those kinds of things. It will include HOA, right? And so you take that and you divide that by that gross income and keep it at 42%. You know, now, if it's FHA, I can take that number all the way up to 50%, 49, right? Um, so that's why I say that 45 is a good mark. But, you know, if you want to get qualified for the best interest rates going, you're going to want to be below that. Um, and... You know, and that just in, that includes all of your debt, right? Mm. But then I then I try to tell people, you know, to your point, right? Hey, the reality is, there are utility bills, there there is a electric bill, there is a water bill. Account for that. <laughs> there is cable bills, right? There are cell phone bills, and those things typically don't show up on a credit report, right? So I say what I'm going to look at is what debts are going to show up on a credit report and what is your income. Those are the numbers I'm going to work with. Figure out what the taxes are for the place that you're buying. If you're buying here in Los Angeles, that's going to be at least one and a quarter unless you buy in one of these neighborhoods here in Santa Clarita that has the uh, special assessment. Um, <laughs> then you need to uh, account for that. And um, and then homeowners insurance, right, and HOA. So put all those numbers together, and then then you just have to be ready for the reality of what are the other expenses that come. Private school, being a homeowner, BMW, because I just got this loan. <laughs> uh, that's, that's how people do it, man. It's crazy. It's nuts. Man. Yeah, uh, Scott. So again, I'm sorry, but one last question for me. If somebody had 20% to put down, would you recommend, and they qualify for one of those three or three and a half percent loans, would you recommend 
they put down 20% or they put down 3% and then make those additional payments you were talking about with the difference? It's a good question. And it, 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 it probably takes, um, it probably has some follow-up questions, right? Yeah, because sure. what, what's the plan? What what are we trying to accomplish here? Is this a is this is this the home, or is this the starter home? Is this an investment property? Um, those are the kind of questions I'd start asking because then the reality of that three and a half, that five percent, that ten percent, that fifteen percent. Those are all options, right? Come with a thing called property mortgage insurance. And that pays the yeah, homeowner PMI. no benefit, right? It's it's going to be a, an amount of money that you're going to pay for. And now. Until you have enough equity, right? Then you can get rid of it. Yeah, okay. yeah. And and so, you know, there has been like a, a really smart strategy over the last 24 months has been in this market and I certainly didn't have the foresight. I'm not going to sit here and say I was smart enough to say that I would have seen home values doing what they're doing. But I did have a couple of clients that said, you know what? I'm going to put down 5%. I got 20%. I'm going to put down the 5% because in a year I'm going to refinance and I'm going to be get rid of that PMI and I'm going to have kept the cash at hand and reinvest that somewhere and you know what? It worked out really well for them, right? But I, I wouldn't have said in the beginning. In fact, I, I'm thinking of a client in my mind that you said, I was Don't saying, do that. That's no, not man, smart. you know, why, why would you do that? You yeah. know, um, you're going to be paying more interest rate because, look, 20% down is going to impact a couple of things that are a component of that mortgage. It's going to impact your interest rate. It's going to impact PMI. So again, if this is a long-term strategy and you've got that 20%, I'm going to say no, right? If they're like, he, he had a short-term plan. Right, within and, a year. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can see that there's something happening in the marketplace that really, you know, um, has, has enough influence on the market value and you can see that, then... Hey, that's a then that could be a really good strategy, right? So, I think it's um, again, it's it's no, it's working with a good real estate professional that knows the marketplace, right? That knows, hey, if you're, you know, that knows where the money's going in that community, especially if you come in new. You know, I'm thinking about people that are buying new and in areas where they have no idea that Ford's going to be putting, you know, $6 billion into a, a factory around the corner from them, they would have no idea. But if you're working with a real estate professional that knows what's happening, where the money's going, where the infrastructure's going, where that investment has a potential of being. And, you know, I've always, I've become a believer of cash is king. So if you can have cash and make that work for you in some sort of liquid investment um, where it can be accessible for the rainy day, the, the unexpected, mm -hmm. you know, adventures of life. Um, yeah, don't tie the breath. No, don't tie it up. Yeah. You know, or, or, or where it can work for you. And again, 
what's the plan? And, and what's most important to you? And where are you in your stages, you know, of have you, you know, if you've already accomplished the retirement plan, well, then your strategy is going to be different than that person that hasn't, sure. right? So questions, oh, lots it, of questions, right? I mean, that, I think that's, uh, that's what I would tell a new homeowner. I would end with this and just say, um, there are no dumb questions and um, ask a lot of them because just like you and I are doing that here, go, well, you know what? That brings up, that's a good question. Let, let me ask you a question. Yeah. And, and by virtue of that exchange, you can develop a plan that's customized to meet your goals and, and your needs. Yeah. And, and these are only things that I learned through purchasing and selling our first home and uh, trying to figure out which direction I'm going to go in the future. So, man, I appreciate I'm it. Learning, Scott, man. I'm learning, man. I'm learning over here. I'm, I'm learning big time right now. Scott Houlihan is a, is a professional, a master of his craft, obviously. Uh, but you know what I got most from it, Scott, and I appreciate and uh, what I realized is that you, you actually you seem to care. This is our first time meeting. And just based on your responses, you obviously care about your, your, your client or potential client there. And uh, that just speaks volumes um in of itself you know in and of itself so. first american dream and for you know somebody's life man you know and uh you know it it's a big man get into a getting into a more you know getting into a home and just realizing like dude this is mine they get the the jingle jingle you know you jingle little keys around and all that stuff it's like oh this is <laughs> you know, what Dude, I mean? you know? I, I'd have that feeling still after five years, like opening up the garage and pulling in and just randomly, I'd be like, damn, this is cool, dude. You know, like I don't have my mom or dad inside waiting for me. Like, <laughs> it, this is my do what I want. You know, it, like it's, it's a, it's a, if you haven't experienced it, it's, it's, it's hard to describe what that feels like, but well, if mean. you're going to do it, do it with people like Scott and uh, and his team over at where could where could people get in contact with you? So I'm at Supreme Lending and pretty easy to find me. My website is Scott Houlihan, H-O-O-L-A-H-A-N dot com. And uh, I would, uh, you know, and, and, you know, thanks for the thanks for recognizing that, Tommy. I appreciate that, brother, because, you know, what? Um, I've always said that, you know, one of the things I like about being a loan officer in a community like Santa Clarita is um, I'm going to run into my clients, right? I, right. I mean, I, I'm going to see you at the at concert in the parks, and I'm going to see you at the schoolyard, and I'm going to see you um, in the mall. And, you know, nothing gives me more pleasure. And, and I, I got the, the benefit of this yesterday where um, I had some clients refer me and you know, the fact that I don't have a billboard in town, I don't do any advertising, I get all my business by referral, and, you know, it it really, it, there's a sense of pride there when people sure. say, hey, you know, I trust that guy. And, you know, I take that seriously. Because greatest compliment. At the end of the day, man, it's a big decision. And, you know, when, when people are willing to um, trust me, with that advice and um, and then refer me to friends and family, um, I'm humbled by that. I'm excited, man. This is going to man. 
And if everybody, I'm sure you guys are listening, man, took a mass, massive amount of notes and, you know, go back and listen to this. Um, yeah. And uh, first thing, first, he's a good man. <laughs> you said it. Yeah. You know, uh, second thing is, you know, he knows what he's doing. Um, he's putting people in position to win. Right. Um, and get to their goals and realize, you know, uh, and and I'm glad that we took some time out today to uh you know, uh, you know, to, to talk about this and I'm sure we'll be doing future conversations and stuff. We were talking about some stuff a little earlier and um I'm a, I'm really excited for folks to get a chance to hear this and um uh and look forward to uh, speaking again, you know, getting, yeah. getting you back on the show. Thanks, Thanks for you your both. time. My Thank pleasure, you. man. Sure. Good to be with you guys. But Same man, way. we back, man. This is the I think <laughs> this may be one or close to one of the final episodes of twenty twenty one. Uh but man, we uh we appreciate you guys. Uh, for, uh, for spending this year with us and, and sharing uh, sharing your ears or eyes and, and watching and listening mm-hmm. and, uh, and and sharing and sharing this with other folks, you know, just want to take some time to appreciate you know our listeners and and our viewers, um, you know, for, for getting this. Info I don't know how much we can say, but stay tuned because we got some <laughs> big stuff coming. Oh, yeah, it's wild. It's dude. a big stuff. It's wild. It's wild. This coming year. Uh, 2022 there's some dreams coming true so absolutely man but please do not forget smash the like button like share subscribe uh, become a become a member we have some memberships coming up to so we got that stuff going on as well um and also click on click on um click on the link in the description in, in scott's website um please click on that if you're in the market for a home especially out in this area but guess what he's out in also other states as well too right Indeed. So licensed in Arizona, Texas, and um, I've got the Colorado and Colorado and Michigan pending for myself. And then my team is licensed in another 28 states. So between us, we can handle okay. you. Got the West Coast covered for sure. Ooh, that's what I'm saying. Get it Good. done. Tennessee and South Carolina, <laughs> gro- rapidly growing, Scott. Yes, yes, no <laughs> doubt. Good to yeah. man. But guess what, man? Without no further ado, no pressure. No diamonds. Let's get it. Yeah.